Welcome to Profiling Criminal Minds. I'm Dan. And I'm Dr. Redman. And we are back for more Wire in the Blood. But before we start the episode, just one thing that's I wanted to bring up. It's not big enough to do a whole Sunday show about. But I just wanted to let people know that uh, in case you were wondering, hey, is Canada free of horrific gun nuts? I uh, just wanted to let you know that we're not. There was a bit of a, a, bit of a scandal this week. Uh, because <clears throat> a famous hockey player for the Habs... Uh, I'm not saying Montreal has no imagination, but the nickname of the Montreal... The name of the Montreal team is the Canadians, and their nickname is the home team. So, just saying, like, you know, up your game a little, Montreal. Uh, but the point is, they're apparently, like, all-time great goalie. When I, like, he, he likes to hunt. And now that we are getting a law that says you can't have an assault rifle in Canada, someone told him, I don't think he's very bright, that they're going to make it, that Justin Trudeau is making it illegal to, like, have a hunting rifle. Now, that's not true. Someone lied to him, but, you know, he seems a credulous idiot. So he went, and you you think I'm being harsh on this man. I'm not being harsh on this man, because here's what he did. He went out, and he promoted a gun advocacy group in Canada. Oh, no. And do you know what this gun advocacy group did two weeks ago? I hate to ask. Well, I mean, it's funny now. When you hear it, you're going to be angrier than you've ever been. They had a sale on merch on their gun advocacy group website. The end of November. And the coupon code for that sale? The word poly. Poly? P-O-L-Y. That's what was on their website a week before the anniversary of the Polytechnic Massacre. The gun group thought, oh, we want to sell more rifles, uh, rifle, you know, paraphernalia to people. Let's make a joke about the massacre at the École Polytechnique. Uh, and if, um, if, yeah, I know, you're, uh, aren't you more horrified than you've ever been? So if you're wondering, and so the team tried to say, oh, well, I'm sure he's just an idiot who didn't know about the massacre. And so then the guy's like, oh, no, I knew about the massacre. And so everyone's like, yeah, maybe they should fire this guy because he's in Montreal. He's playing in Montreal. He's playing for the Habs. This is my point. Like, you kind of got to fire this guy now. Yeah. So, um, I've talked, I've joked before about how, you know, uh, I joked just the other week about like pivotal moments for me in my journey to wokeness and one of them being history of the world part one, which is kind of a funny, uh, piece on that journey. The less funny piece on that journey is that I found out about the massacre even before you did. Yes. Because it happened in like the morning to noon of that day. And I delivered newspapers for a living. 
And this isn't a thing that exists anymore, but it used to be there was a morning edition of the newspaper, which is the one that went in all the boxes, and there was an evening edition in the newspaper, then that's the one that the paper boys delivered at 5 p.m. And if so, if there was breaking news at up to like 2 p.m., you could actually get that news into the newspaper. And so I found out about this literally hours after it had happened as I was packing newspapers to deliver. And I was so horrified that someone killed women for wanting to study engineering that I uh, started a journey into the history of feminism that has never ceased. Yes. So if people ask me why I'm a, a virulent... That's right, virulent. I try to spread it. Feminist? Uh, it is because I found out about misogyny when a guy shot a bunch of women for wanting to learn engineering. Yeah. Yesterday was the uh, Memorial Day. Yeah, that's why I'm taking it so seriously. It was, I brought it up with my students last night, the ESL students. Yeah. And um, it was interesting because I have two engineers in, well, I have more than two, but this couple, she knew about it. Mm -hmm. Nobody else knew about it, of course, but yeah. she did. Um it was horrible. Yeah. I didn't know about it until I got home. Yeah. Until you got home. Because you were you were at school all day and I had a newspaper for you when you got home. And well, a lot of questions. A, yeah, and it was all uh, all over the TV as well. Yeah, of course. So it was um Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, these are the days before social media. Yeah. No, you didn't have Twitter with a million messages telling you yes. about it. Yeah. yeah, and a phone that, that mm -hmm. lit up, and um, I wasn't accessible. I didn't even have a cell phone at that point. Exactly. So I wasn't accessible, and I taught, and so I don't even think I found out about it on the bus. No, no it was after you, I remember. It was after you got home. Because, yeah. again, I had a lot of questions. <laughs> yes. And it was horrible. The one thing horrific. I remember yeah. about it, I was I was very upset. I'm still very upset about it. But well, I, I have, remember, yeah, I remember. And you wanted to know who would do such a thing, and I, I profiled. Yeah. Now we would use the term profile, profile of the exact kind of scumbag incel is what we now call them. Yep. Right. Who is drunk on the idea of male supremacy. And then when his wife doesn't turn out the way he thought it would, he blames women. Well, yes, yeah. it, it was very. But um, I so I profiled him. Yeah. And you were dead <laughs> on. And I was dead on yeah. when we started to get information the next day about this person, mm -hmm. this man. And he was in his 20s, of yep. course. Um, they usually and, are. You know, he had um, he had divorced parents, and his mother worked all the time, and his father was. Um, I was thinking, I don't know if he was Saudi, but he was something like that. Yeah, and we um, have to look it up, and we have no interest in looking it up. No, I'm not going to look it up right now. Um, yeah. But yes, I mean, the father went back, but he. And of course, needless to say, that was a highly patriarchal. Yeah. And the whole problem was, is his mother worked. Mm -hmm. It was it was even worse. He didn't get into the poly 
into the engineering program yep. at the Ecole Polytechnique. And um, so he blamed uh, equity for yep. it, women yeah. for it, because, I mean, his if mother... If women his weren't life, doing getting affirmative action for those spots, I would have gotten one of those spots. And it was, and if his mother had had stayed home, mm-hmm. barefoot, pregnant, and in the kitchen, yeah. uh, everything would have been fine, according to, of course, his father. Yeah. Um, and uh, it is, as I said, Kinderkirchkuka. <laughs> um, children, church, and cooking. Yep. That's the German form of all women are good for. Barefoot, pregnant, and in the kitchen. Yep. And um, yeah, it it was it was, as you say, the first. I would probably say it was the first spree incel killing. Yeah, I mean, well, it's the first one. There may have been more before that that were not identified as such, but the fact that we got to publicly say this was the motive for it and completely understand the mindset that created this, I think turns it into the first incel mass killing. Yeah, he because this is what he wrote. Yeah, and he was that, very open about it, about and, his, all of his motivations. And what happened was, of course, that he went into one of the classrooms, he put the men on one side, and he lined the women up, and he shot them. Yep. And, and I mean, it, it was just so clear what was going mm-hmm. on yeah um it is um it, it was i mean and it's we've seen it since we've seen it plenty of times since men shouldn't be allowed to own guns i've said that for a very long amount of time uh, i don't think anybody should be allowed to own a gun but specifically if you're allowed to have guns in society men should be banned from having them as a general <laughs> rule because historically speaking, we can trust women not to go on mass shootings. Historically speaking. Uh, but, yeah, like, uh, I blame the gun. I blame his parents. I blame, you know, societal misogyny. I blame religion. You know, like, there's a lot of people to blame for it. And this is a thing that I've never really stopped thinking about because it had, it had haunted me, you know, because of the way I found out about it and because it's why I quote-unquote got woke. Uh, about feminism and about misogyny, right? Which, again, I was trained by the 80s not to worry about that kind of stuff. When I went to school in... I I went to school in Montreal years later, right? And literally, like, walking down from where I was living to where I got groceries, you passed by the memorial. So I stopped by that memorial, like, two, three times a week for the years I was living in Montreal. Yeah, uh, and it happened in 1989. 80, um, Jesus, it was that long ago. Had, well, yeah, so 14 died. Yeah. Beams of light lit above Montreal yeah. yesterday. Oh, good. Um, all over. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I was teaching. I don't know how many times this happens to me that I can't go to any kind of a memorial yeah. because I end up teaching that night. It's very strange. That is weird. So, yeah, like... So, Carrie Price knew Carey about Price, the tragedy. Carrie Price, yeah. He That's says he knew tragedy. about the tragedy. He says he knew about the tragedy, and he doesn't want people making excuses for him. And I'm like, yeah, well, you're playing for Montreal, so you probably shouldn't be able to play for Montreal anymore. 
Yeah, get traded someplace else. Get traded someplace Poli else. He has apologized. Oh, good. He's apologized. Is he also going to give up his do? insane gun-defending rhetoric? No, no. No, no. He's only uh, apologizing for the timing. Yeah, this is what I'm saying. This guy shouldn't be... He shouldn't be playing anywhere. He sure as hell shouldn't be playing in Montreal. No. No. I mean, again, it's Montreal, you know? Uh, so, yeah, a dirtbag gun rights guy. And again, I wouldn't be that harsh about, I don't like gun rights people. I think I've been afraid of that. Like, I mean, I do know some gun rights people. And it's like, to to quote Donald Trump, I'm sure some of them are good people. <laughs> and I personally in my life know gun rights people. And I don't have a problem with them personally. But I do think guns should be outlawed everywhere. Well, I'm not certain that I... Uh... I, I don't have... Well, yes, we both know at least one gun rights person. Yeah, we do. Um, And uh, I am not happy about it at all, ever. Yeah. Um, Don't talk to me about guns. Mm -hmm. I mean, my father grew up, I'm sure, hunting. Yeah. After the war, he wanted nothing to do with guns. Yeah. Because he After knew what it was like. Well, and this is what I'll always say. I mean, my exception is, like, if you live in a place where in the past decade, I'm going to say five people have been killed by bears within a kilometer of where you live. Okay, I'm fine if you have a single shot rifle in your house. But that's it. <laughs> and you can only use it to defend your house. We can talk about uh, traditions of hunting. And I, I do understand why that is important. There okay. are communities for whom traditions of hunting are important. I completely understand that. But that's why God invented, you know, single shot rifles. Yes, and you can go out and you eat. And you own, what? exactly, only if you eat what you kill. I will never have any respect for a trophy hunter. That's just, no, no oh. circumstance. Now, that is our... Excursion so, for this week. There's I, also <laughs> yeah. um, this week, but and we're not going to do a Sunday show. No, so, no. Uh, like I said, I knew this wasn't going to be enough to do a Sunday show about. Oh, we could have. We could have. We could have <laughs> talked for a lot longer about guns, but I didn't want to make this ridiculously preachy and didactic. But the fact is, like, no, you don't get to ignore and minimize what happened at the Polytechnic. And if if people hearing this have never heard about this, I'm sorry that we broke it to you this way in such a strident way. It's an important part of Canadian history. It's horrific. And again, it's something that, that haunts the entire country. Yeah, and because it was so, it was so out of sync. Like yeah. in Canada, it's this like... This kind of thing you just think doesn't happen. Doesn't happen in Canada. Yeah. I mean, we've had... One or two other ones, they've yeah. always been very, very small, but nothing so blatant, yeah. nothing so horrific, mm -hmm. and incel before incel. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah, we what? had that, we had that guy who, you know, uh, shot up all of Eastern Canada a couple of years back. Oh, that's, but that's, but what that's we're a talking whole, about. Yeah. That's a whole other story. And honestly, they never, I never got a straight story in what was going on from about what was going on with that guy. Like, what the hell was that, going on with that guy? Well, that guy was, anyway, with that, uh, the only thing I will say was with that guy, he should have been jail, in jail a lot earlier. Yep. However, 
And here is the problem with not, I, like, I don't know how you do the domestic violence thing. We have had ways of doing it. I know. But so often, the women who are beaten up yeah. end up in hospital, go back. Well, and the real issue is, and I mean, that's that's a conversation for another time, but the real issue yeah. is, if you want the biggest predictor of mass shooting, just find anybody who has committed an intimate partner abuse. Yeah. Because they all have. Every single one. Every mass shooter has, like, done an intimate partner abuse. It's kind of crazy. Like, it is like a one-to-one, -one, something you'll always see. Like Well, I will tell you... Insane extent. To, um... I mean, this is why... What is that Tom Cruise movie, Minority Report? Yeah. Yeah, if you want a pre-crime mass shooting, just get anyone who has ever abused an, an intimate partner. Anyway. It, it's not true. It's true. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. This Let's... this day brings up a lot, and the fact that it got into the news because of this horrible hockey player made it worse than the anniversary always is. And that's why it yes. came up today. Like, this anniversary is always rough, but this this guy made it worse. This guy made it a lot worse. So, yeah, yes. he's he's got to go. Well, I... I... What can I say? I yeah. found out, of course, that Kyrie... I don't know why it never connected that Kyrie Irving... Yeah. His last name is Irving. I know. I mean, I'm going, oh, yeah, okay, so maybe he thinks he's related to <laughs> idiot face. Yeah. Never mind, that's for another day. Let us We're get... We're not going to get into our... Yeah. There, Google Clifford Irving and see what comes up. <laughs> and that's and all then, we'll say about that. That, yeah. that would be another half an hour. You know, I, that is too funny. The names of angels. Let's I get know, right? wire in uh, the blood. Uh, you know, yeah. Oh in, my in God. fact, this seems to be in some ways a perfect true fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. And, but it is misogyny. It is. It absolutely uh, is. And, you know, it's, it's, it, it's, it is a good episode. Yeah. Um, it is a, very downer of an episode. Uh, yeah, you are not kidding. <laughs> this one ends down, down, down. Yeah. Remember we were talking before about the first one, and well, yes, it ended up with a little bit of hope. There is no hope in this one. No, there is hope in that first episode. Yes. But, yes. Uh, this, but I mean, it's like you could actually make the argument that part of the theme of this episode is like extinguishing the hope that we had at the end of that last episode. Uh, but that we'll talk about it when we get there. Yes. You know what I mean, but uh, if people haven't seen the episode yet, we'll talk about it when we get there. Oh. Uh, yeah, all right, so... Very, very strange episode. Oh, it is. And it opens... And I, oh, sorry. Do you want to say something first? Yes. Let, let me... Let Before me you, we start. And, and I do not... Still do not understand the title... The names of angels. Well, you know, they're all, they're trying to get the titles all to come from the poetry. But yeah, like linking that up to this episode is a weird way to do it. And uh, I, I can provide an explanation for how they think it's linked, but I think it's a reach. We'll, we'll, I'll explain it when we get there in the plot. Okay. Okay. All right. <clears throat> so uh, the episode opens in Copenhagen in 2002. A guy seduces a woman in a bar 
And then once they're out of the barn in an alley walking towards his car, he brutally attacks, rapes, and strangles her to death. And we see the woman's naked body being pulled out of the water soon after. We don't know exactly when, but she hasn't decomposed or anything. But the point is, she's naked and she's pulled out of the water. That is the key part of the episode. And you might say, well, isn't the fact that she's naked just unpleasant? No, it's actually integral to the plot. Uh, oof. So we cut to five years later. Uh, we cut to five years later. Now we're in Bradfield. Right? And we see a woman like putting on some very, very memorable matching necklace and earrings. And that's a key part. Like they are matching necklace and earrings and they are very, very memorable. The show wants you to remember exactly what they look like. And so she goes out. Meanwhile, a another woman is making dinner for herself and her husband. And the husband just walks out the door without acknowledging her. And she is obviously not pleased about this. <sighs> and she has a baby. Oh, we don't see the baby yet. No, we don't see the baby. She does have a baby, yeah. Uh, we don't actually see the baby yet. But uh, the man meets the woman in a bar. And then while that's going on, we cut over to uh, we cut over to Alex, who's preparing dinner for her son, Ben. Right? And uh, he is, you know, doing the normal thing of... Uh, Oof, doing the normal thing of, you know, being late for dinner because he's playing PlayStation. And then uh, we get a phone ringing and Alex is looking for a phone, but it's not her phone. It's Ben's phone and it's his dad calling again. We remember this has been a running thing this year on the show that Ben's dad has been trying to reach out and get in touch with his son. And Alex is obviously not happy about this, but she controls it well. Like she doesn't make a big deal of it yet. It's going to be important. But once she's got dinner squared away, right, uh, once she's got dinner, you know it's, you know it's going to be a thing. <laughs> then we cut over to Tony. And Tony gets a call. Right? He gets a call. Hang up immediately. He does a star 69. And it's a phone booth. Apparently in Bradfield, you can call phone booths. I don't know if that's a real thing. You can't in Canada. Or you couldn't when star 69 was a thing. Uh, and we see that the, we see a teenager leaning on the phone booth smoking. So they are setting up three distinct, well, I mean, I'd say, I'd say four, but obviously the guy leaving his wife is the killer. So that's part of the three storylines, but they are like quickly setting up three major storylines for this episode. Then it's back, it's dinner, and Alex wants to talk to her son about the fact that his dad has been reaching out. Because he doesn't get why he's not allowed to talk to his dad and why he's been kept from his dad all this time. Right? Oh. And, uh, I'd say she, uh, uh, I'd say she doesn't handle it super well. <laughs> um, and speaking as someone who has been through that exact experience, <laughs> has been through that exact experience, <laughs> yeah. um, I am in full sympathy with Alex. Yeah. I know, I know before she discusses it with Tony, which she will do later on. Yeah. Um, exactly why she's doing this and what she would like, prefer to do. 
but she has run smack against yeah, um, yeah. the fact that she has a son mm-hmm. whose father showed no interest in him until this year. Yeah. And of course, it's he's a little boy. He wants his father. Mm-hmm. And he wants to know his father. And his father has been calling him and wants to see him. And Alec has, Alex has been going, no. Ooh. Quite and understandably. He doesn't, he doesn't understand why. Yeah. So we will talk further. <laughs> about that later. But it's notable that she, in like a giant moment for their relationship, uh, wants to talk about it and she calls Tony. Yes. And what I think is great is Tony sees in the call display that it's her calling and assumes it's a work thing. Yes. And so he says, how can I help? And she recoils at that. And it's like, can't I just be like, can't you ever just say, how are you? Can't I just be calling to talk? (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, Tony's like, that really isn't our relationship, but that's great. It's never happened before. Yeah. Because he knows something's horribly wrong and she doesn't just ring for a chat. (laughs) I mean, we even get the the wonderful line. She's like, do people not just call you for a chat? And he's like, no. (laughs) Nobody's ever called me just to chat. I don't have those kinds of friends. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so he tries to get out of her what she wants to talk about, but she's not ready to open up and... You know, again, there's still this wall between her and Tony of that type. Yeah, he, well, she, I think, I don't think she, I think in that sense, she's like every other police officer. Yeah. They don't talk about their personal lives. Mm-hmm. Tony's already had to deal with this with her, that she should take time off. She should spend more time with her child. Yeah. You know, if that's bothering her, we already know she's overwhelmed by the demands of her position. She has replaced Carol as the head of this team. Yeah. And the demands of that position are fine when you're Carol with no responsibilities outside of herself. Yeah, absolutely. But she's a very different character with very different stuff going on. Yes, and she doesn't have a wife. Yeah, <laughs> she doesn't have a wife to do all of this stuff. Yeah, to, I mean, it, this is, this is the, we used to, you know, every, every woman just needs a wife, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's like, if you're going to be worried, yeah, you've got to, you've got to do all the home admin and the emotional labor. Yes, all <laughs> of it. Exactly. And you also have to have a day job and provide for a family. That's why it's impossible to be a single parent because you are expected to do all of the parts of the job. Yes. And is that capitalism's fault? Yes. But you know, okay, let's get back to the show. (laughs) Let's get back to the show. (laughs) All right. We cut to the killer who has driven this woman out to a business park. And uh, she thinks they're going to look at an office because she's surprised that none of the business, uh, the door lights are on the doors are open. And he immediately attacks her and drags her out into a field and rapes and murders her. Uh, the same way, because it's the same killer. Spoiler alert. Uh, really interesting thing about the episode. And it's like, I think the director must have been like, thanked God that this happened. Because it is this gorgeous scene, the attack. 
because like a flash blizzard cropped up while they were filming it. And like, there's no snow in the rest of the episode. The episode doesn't look, rest of the episode doesn't look like it's even supposed to be cold. But it's like, while they were out at night filming this, there was apparently just a flash blizzard. And I'll say it, it looks incredible. It does. Like this, this dark field and these hard lights and you can see every snowflake as it all rushes around them. It's beautiful. It's, it's just one of those lucks of the draw. Yeah, just like a complete miracle. You know, you couldn't have planned this. You know, if you had, he probably, first of all, it would have never been, um, it was probably not in the. Oh yeah, no one would put that on a script because you would have never believed they could have planned that to happen. No, and you wouldn't if they had done fake snow like they have to do. Exactly. In August, when they're the, when, when they're, they're filming, filming the Christmas movies, yeah, right. They have to make fake snow, and the only reason you do it is if you were planning to have it be an episode set it in winter, which this yeah. clearly isn't. So it was just this, you know, chef's kiss, beautiful bit of serendipity. Yeah, you know? and it looks it looks incredible. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Such a good scene. All right, so uh, then we see the kid who called uh, Tony. We're just going to, his name's Jack. We're just going to start calling him Jack to make that easier on you who are listening. Yes. Uh, we see him running away from the, uh, running away from some cops and hiding and then trying to call Tony again. Yes. But he can't do it. He can't bring himself to dial. And then we see the killer come home to his wife and wake her up and give her the jewelry he took off the dead lady. That jewelry we established at the start of the episode. And then we see that he has stolen, uh, her name is Monica, and he has stolen her ID, which is going to be important later. And put it in his secret box full of serial killing mementos. Now things get weird because they turn up, the cops turn up and look at the, you know, to look at the dead body. And they haven't called Tony yet because they don't know it's a serial crime. They don't know it's anything important. But if you're paying attention, you will notice She's wearing different clothes. Yes. Yeah, the woman is wearing different clothes than when she died. And you can notice it if you're paying attention. Because, you know, they're good at their... Uh, you know, they're good at their job making this show. They show you just enough of it to notice. And this is great. They actually point out something that's going to be important later. That this parking lot is, you know, has no surveillance and is dead at night, and they actually have problems with uh, sex workers bringing their johns here. Mm-hmm. Right? Bringing their johns here. So it's like, it's a known place. So even though she looks posh, it's possible that that's, this was a regular situation where a sex worker has been murdered by a client. And I hate that I have to say that's a regular situation, but, you know, I'm not going to live in denial. Uh, so yeah, they, then we cut back to the office and Tony is there. And in one of the most thuddingly obvious metaphors the show has ever done, he's sitting in the office waiting for her. Now it's key that he doesn't know about the murder. He is literally just there to check on her after that phone call last night. Yes. But in the most thuddingly obvious metaphor ever, while he's hanging out in his, her office waiting for her, he picks up a, you know, world's best mom with a photograph of her and her son on it mug. And he's so surprised by her opening the door that he drops it and the mug breaks. 
Like, we get it, show. And then she lays into him and screams at him. And yeah. what business does he have involving himself in her life? Her life is her life, and she can take care of herself. Yeah. And she, blah, blah, blah. I, know, right? I understand it. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, it makes perfect sense where she's coming from, but wow. Poor Tony. He's just, I know. But I just came to see how you were. I know. What? Tony is, he's actually reaching out. But he points out that it's like, uh, uh, he points out that it's like, you obviously are having conflict about being a working mother. Because it's like, how many, uh, and he says, how many mementos of your son do you think you have in this office? She's like, I have five or six. And he's like, I counted 17. Yes. You're trying to prove to yourself you're a good mother. By surrounding yourself with proof that you're yes. a good mother. Yes. Like, it's, yes. it's a great moment. It is a great profiling yes. moment. What, what it is, is that when she gets, and this is the problem, right? Is when she gets completely immersed in her job, she doesn't even think about her child. Yep. She doesn't have time to think about her child. Nope. But she also just doesn't because the job, she loves the job. She does. That's the big issue here. Yep. And she has, but she has this. So she has the nanny. Hence, it's not a surprise that once in a blue moon, her son might call the nanny mom. <laughs> yep. Because the nanny's around and the nanny often has to stay late. Mm-hmm. Which um, comes up in this episode. Yeah. So it it is um it's a problem for her. So she has to do this. Yeah. Constantly. And um it it's the guilt. She has no choice, really. I mean, mm -hmm. it's good to have a job that you prefer, but she knows somehow or another that she is expected yeah. to be different. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't have any support system. And it is a reason why cop, cop marriages yeah. so often fail. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's this exact thing. Yes, and and why there's so much domestic abuse when the men mm -hmm. is the, and when the women, well, the men just kind of because they're they're cop yeah. wives never up, yeah get up in the middle of the night and go off to work. Yep. No, That's it's it's one of the most difficult jobs to maintain a relationship in, famously. Famously, yes. yeah. It's a cliche for a reason, to put it another way. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, uh, before Tony can leave, you know, after he's been thrown out, uh, Kevin and Paula come in with some fascinating information. The ID they found on the woman isn't her. Yes. It's a woman who died in Denmark five years ago. That's right. It's the woman. For, uh, it's the idea of the woman from the opening of the episode. Yes. And so Tony's like, well, obviously you've got a serial killer here. I guess I'm sticking around. <laughs> doesn't even wait to be asked. He doesn't even wait for the third. <laughs> I know, right? He's like, no, this is obviously serious. And so we get a wonderful thing we talk about. And this is where the names of angels come in because... 
if you think of the women he's killed as angels he's collecting, he is assigning, he brings the ID and these new victims he is naming after the women he killed in the past. That's, I'm not saying it's a satisfying link to the title. I'm saying that's how they would justify the link to the title. So there you go. Yes. That, that's I'm what sorry. it means. I agree it's a stretch. I know. I agree it's a stretch. I'm not defending it. I'm saying that would be their logic were yes. you to ask them. Right. And so uh, they go over like what it means that he's tried to uh, erase the identity of this modern woman and turn him her into a woman he killed in the past. And obviously they don't have any firm leads on that, but it's clearly very meaningful. Yes. Right. Unbelievably meaningful. Right. And he talks about how the, uh, the labeling means he's trying to turn one woman into another woman. And what he thinks that must mean is that the jewelry is being stolen. Specifically, it's probably the regular rapist fetish of, stealing the jewelry to put it on someone else so he can relive the fantasy. Yes. Which is a very reasonable thing to assume. And of course he's right. You know. Spoiler alert, he's 100% right about this. Yeah, and uh, and they do, be, uh, do bring the b- big point, which is, um, and this is what, to- this is actually what gets Tony there, is Alex points out, he cannot have been planning five years ahead so why did he steal all of her clothes five years ago? And of course, and that's what Tony makes realize. He's having his partner wear her clothes, the clothes of the woman he killed to help his fantasies. And yeah, that is what makes Tony figure it out because that jibes exactly with uh, stealing the jewelry off the newest woman. And of course, we then cut to home to the, uh, uh, we cut home to the woman, the girlfriend, they're not actually married, of the killer, and she's wearing the earrings. Yes. Yep. She's putting on the earrings. Mm-hmm. And then she'll have to put on the necklace because there's a necklace and earrings that It's match. a set. Yeah, it's a set and it's all part of his fetish. So Alex puts out a call. If there are any women missing matching this description, you know, reach out. Well, can... remember, yeah. Paula calls Denmark. Yeah, to find out about the other one. Well, when they, this is how they find out yeah. that this woman isn't the woman from Den- Denmark. Exactly. Yeah. Cause she's uh, exactly. Well, no, but I already mentioned that, that it's the woman from five years ago. Yes. I know you mentioned it was from five years, but how they found it is, yeah. I think, critical because they go, but no, she's, she died five yeah, years ago. Yeah. She's five years ago. And yeah. And that's why I'm saying they, they don't know who this woman is. Right. Yeah. They don't know who this woman is and they need to find out. And that's why they put out the open call and the open call gets them a likely person. And so Tony goes to her apartment and it turns out she is not a sex worker. She's a professional woman. She is a professional woman. She works in business. She is high class. She lives in a very nice, uh, she lives in a very nice condo. So it's like she literally works for a stockbroker. Yes, and she hadn't come to work. And she hadn't come to work, and so when people saw the news, they're like, this could be her. And so the question becomes, okay, well, she and they looked at the kind of clothes she has, and they checked the video of her leaving, and they're like, she wasn't dressed like she was going out on a date. So what exactly was this? And of yes. course, we already know that it was a fake business thing, but... You know, they they don't have any clues about that yet. So, you know, we can't we can't blame them for not knowing that part. 
No, because because what happens is is that they do discuss even at this point that she wouldn't go with a man who was a scuzz. Yeah, exactly. You know, junk. It has to be someone who fits into her world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, and is is good looking, and they go, well, why would he have to be good looking? She said she's not going to go with someone who's not good. Looking. <laughs> I know, you know, right? Yeah, yeah, it's like completely reasonable. Everybody's making very good observations this week. 100%. I like it's one of the things I really like about this episode. Uh then after this scene, somebody break we see somebody break a window in a door. They break a window in a door and they let themselves in and they take a knife. It's the teen from earlier. Yes, but we don't know that right away. No. Oh, oh no, no, we see that it's the teen. We just don't know oh, where he's broken into. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we see then, that it's the teen. We just don't know where he's broken into. That's the right. reveal later. Uh, all right, then we check in in a horrifying scene with Monica. That's the victim's family, which is unbelievably difficult to watch because you have the father and the sister who are both, you know, just living in denial and can't believe this is really her. And, you know, like, just don't want to believe it's true. And the sister agrees to go and identify the body, but... The dad just wants to believe she's gone away for a few days and like, oof. Yeah. It, it's a rough scene. Then Alex comes home and as you predicted, she has to like relieve the um, the babysitter, nanny. the nanny who stayed late. Right. And then Tony goes home and Tony turns out it was his place that was broken into. Yeah. And his knife is missing. And... Someone has taken all of these pictures that Tony has on his wall of himself with other people and cut out all of the other people, leaving Tony alone in all of the pictures. Yes. Which is quite a statement. I mean, I say someone. We know it's Jack. <laughs> and then uh, and then he gets a call. He thinks it's the hang-up again, but this time it is Alex. And she's actually reaching out and she actually wants to talk and she's ready to talk. But Tony, being a closed off idiot, doesn't just say, someone's broken into my apartment. I can't talk right now. He just like intimates that it's not a good time. And she thinks he doesn't want to talk to her and immediately backs off again. (laughs) Like they are both botching this so frustratingly. (laughs) in their own ways they are both botching it so frustratingly but yeah like they just can't get this conversation that they need to have going and it's so frustrating to watch uh good scene though good scene oh yes uh oh yeah as they go on what i was was just gonna say and then we cut to jack who is cutting his own name into his arm with uh the knife from tony's place Oh. oh, and then we cut to Tony finding out that the play, it was stolen from his, uh, how he got in. He finds the broken window, uh, in the back of his house. So yeah. Yes. Oh, <sighs> that poor, like this poor kid. Yep. We don't know his story yet. Yet. And we'll never learn his whole story, but we learn enough. Yeah. Oh. And so it's like, so now Alex can't talk to Tony and Tony doesn't know what's going on. And all he's left to do is try and start pasting his pictures back together because Tony is the person who picks up the pieces when things go wrong in people's lives. 
Again, this is a thuddingly literal episode of the show. Like, they want to make sure you don't miss any of the metaphors this week. Oh, I loved it. I'm not complaining. It's funny. It's just weird to see it so literalized, right? No, I did. Yes. Everything yeah. about this. It's, but it's, it goes with what's going on with all of these people. Yeah. Tony, who cannot have a decent relationship with anybody, mm-hmm. who doesn't connect and doesn't pick up. And as you say, on, it's, it's weird, right? Yeah. He just doesn't understand that he sometimes. He misses these cues. Always. All these cues. He just doesn't pick them up when they're related to him. Yeah. Like, he can pick up cues. Oh, he can, he can, yeah, you're right. He can, like, he can profile anybody else, but stuff in his own life, he just can't see. He just can't see it. Mm-hmm. He doesn't seem to want to, or he doesn't seem to be able to pick these things up. Yeah. So, and we can talk about how intentional that is and whether that's a defense mechanism to keep him from getting into meaningful relationships. I have a suspicion that that's at the heart of it. But, you know, it's not like the show is about explaining every little detail of Tony's mind. The show is too classy for that. Well, this show doesn't explain anything. About Tony. Up to this yeah. point, we're now getting close to the end of season five and then we're going to get to season six the last season and it's like yeah. we still don't know anything about tony we about only tony. yeah all we know about him is his actions yes and tony would say that that's all you need to know about somebody <laughs> or all you need to know about him yeah yeah exactly that's, you yeah. know and it is so different from the books yeah you just do not get in the show what you get in the books. Right. And it is sometimes I have to separate out. In your head. Yeah, because you have so much more information about this than I do. Yeah, about Tony. Yeah. I have scads of in- None about Alex, of course. because it's not in the books. It's not in the books. Yeah. And um, so consequently... Um, it, it, it's, it's an interesting way that they have changed this character. Yeah. All kind of made him like an absent-minded professor. Very much so. Uh, without ever giving you any reason why. Yeah. Ever. And, um, so I'm not going to give away. No, no, don't give away. Um, we have to get. We'll get back to it. All right. So uh, to jump ahead slightly. So they're going through and they're they're trying to profile her movements, Monica's movements. And they're like, uh, Inga, the woman who was killed in Denmark, it profiled the exact same way. This is an upper middle class woman. This is a professional woman. This has to be a guy in her milieu, like who is comfortable working this mindset. They're like, does he have a connection to the business park? And they check. And none of the businesses, uh, Kevin goes and calls all of the businesses who work in the business park. None of them have any connection to Denmark. So it's like, so why did he pick that location? Like, does he just like that? Like, does he just have a fondness for that location or is it more meaningful in some way? They don't see an obvious connection, right? Which right. is, uh, I mean, it's going to be clear later and it is actually pretty smart the way they do it. But yeah, there's no 
obvious connection to him. Uh, so then we see the killer looking for his new victim at an art opening. And he picks up a woman named Rachel. Who, once again, and you can see by the way they interact, that he is 100% comfortable in that world. Like, she literally walks up to him. Again, like, because that's been their pitch. And yeah, they are, they seem to be completely right about this. About how comfortable he is in this world and how, you know, how women are, yes, they're not intimidated. They're not scared. They're totally comfortable getting into a sports car with this man. Because spoiler alert, he always has a sports car. He always has a high-end car. Yes. So Tony gets home. He's going to be thinking more about the case. And a social services guy shows up to see him. To tell him that someone named Jack Norton has gone missing. He was on supervised release and he's gone missing. He had a bust up with his supervisors and he's run off. And he hasn't been in touch with anybody. And so they want to know, has he been talking to Tony? And we find out now that this is one of Tony's patients. Yes. He was convicted at age 15 of murder and he was moved to another part of the country uh, sorry at age 11 of murder and he was moved to another part of country at age 15 and given a new identity because the program is when you let child offenders out of jail you give them a new identity so they won't be so they have a chance at a regular life yes and so he's like has he reached out to you tony says no i haven't heard from him although you know Obviously, Tony knows what's going on. Yeah, well, obviously, well, no, I mean, th- then the light will go on in Tony's head. Yeah. That, okay, the hang up. The hang up, the, the pictures, in, yeah. And the break in are Jack. Well, it's debatable but, whether he's already figured it out in this scene. Well, I think, no, I think he does. It, it, because when he talks to him, I think that Tony does figure it out, but Tony, can honestly say, no, I haven't had any Yeah, that's true. You're right. It's an honest, it's an honest thing to say because Jack didn't talk to him on the phone. You're right. You're right. Technically speaking, there was no contact. So he's, he's deceiving without lying. Yes. I haven't seen him. I haven't talked to him is what he says. And that is completely true. True. And, and Jack, because I think he's just making that connection right now. Yeah. Okay. Because the next time, Jack phones. Jack still doesn't talk, but Tony says Jack. Yeah. And then, and this is the key moment. And this is why I thought he might have, I suspected he might have known earlier. Because the key moment is that after he calls and he says, Jack, is that you? Do you want to talk? And Jack doesn't say anything. The next thing Tony does is look at the social worker's card and try to decide whether he should call or not. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, you can read it both ways. And I don't think anyone is, either interpretation is obviously wrong. Uh, next scene, the killer goes out to another isolated park and murders the woman from the art gallery. Because that's his fetish. His horrific fetish. And then, uh, if this wasn't unpleasant enough already, after murdering, raping and murdering this woman and redressing her, he then calls the father of the previous victim to mention that it was Monica's birthday today. I know. That was... You have no sympathy for this man. No, he's a monster. 
even when you find out. Yeah, even when you find out what's going on with him. Yeah. Well, no, it's one of those situations where you have pity for where he came from, but no sympathy for what he's become. None at all. None at all. And this time, the redressing is even more obvious because the woman is dressed not at all for the weather in this midriff-bearing, like, high-fashion top. Like, looks completely different. And he collects her clothes for him to use later. And I gotta say, uh, it's very interesting because we never really see the killer's face. They shoot it from such a distance that you're like, it's a white guy, he's got dark hair, he's tall, he's thin, but you never really get a good look at him with the lighting. It's filmed very expertly. Lee. Yeah. Expertly. Expertly, yes. yes, thank you. And now they get, and now they do get the car. Yeah, the team, yes. They are able to figure out that he had a, it's a Jaguar or a Porsche or something. Oh, no, yes. The first time it was a Jaguar, the second time it was a Porsche. Yes, but, and they get a license plate number and they get... Something, no, they don't get a license plate number because later they'll actually have to call every place in Bradfield that rents cars to try and see on what night was a Porsche rented, on what night was a Jaguar rented. So they don't actually get a license plate number yet. Okay. Yeah, uh, but Tony goes to the new crime scene and to, and he hears about the calling the father and talks about how, like, this is a guy who is playing a game with us, the police. He wants to prove his superiority. He is connecting these to the old murders, like, just for us. Cause, and that, and he, Tony's right. Like, redressing them in his old victims could be something he did for him. Leaving the IDs of the old victim is something he's doing to mock the police. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then we get another scene with the uh, girlfriend of the killer who's uh, in the middle of putting away all of his clothes and finds that there's a ring in his pocket. A beautiful ring in his pocket. And she uh, gets dressed up in this nice uh, black dress and ha- puts on the ri- uh, puts on the ring and the uh, necklace and the earrings. Uh, you know, opening up this uh, box of jewelry that he keeps hidden away, uh, like that she keeps hidden away of all the jewelry she's given him over the years. And then when he's she hears, he's sorry that he's given her over the years. Slow and then down. in a key, yeah. And then in a key moment, when she uh, hears him coming home, she takes off the ring she just found and yeah. hides it back in his jacket because she knows he'll be pissed if she found it. Yes. And now we get, you know, the unpleasant scene of him wanting to dress up specifically so he can have sex with her while fantasizing about one of his victims. Ew. Yes. Well, this show is nothing but ew. Yeah, because literally the next scene is him sending condolence flowers to the family of Monica as well. It was just... Yeah, with an All My Love Monica card. That is an escalation. Yep. He is actively... In a conversation with the police now. And that is like key to the profile. Ugh. This is a rough episode. Now that we're talking about it, yes. Like, this really is brutal. But with the new body and the new ID, they found out a, out a victim who was murdered in Italy just outside of Palermo. 
right? Who oh. was a student, who was a, you know, a, a, a graduate student, who, again, high class woman, who is operating these circles, who's, right? Who's yeah. operating these circles, who's comfortable in high class, and all were like, this is absolute, like, it is completely 100% consistent, the victims in mainland Europe and the victims in England. And Tony yes. points out, it used to be, right, that he, uh, that he was killing these women, uh, abroad and now he's killing them at home. Why the change? And Tony's observation, what I thought was really interesting, and it's a really good bit of writing, a behavioral profiling, is in Europe, he dumped one woman in, uh, like the ocean and the other woman he like dragged out into the middle of nowhere and hid her in the foothills. Whereas here, he's dropping them in car parks where there's cameras around, where there's cars around that are like really high risk places to dump somebody. And Tony's like, he wasn't comfortable there. He is comfortable here. So he'll take bigger risks here. He was killing there, but he lives here. Yes, he was. He was killing there because it was a way. Yeah. Now he's gotten even more comfortable. Yeah, exactly. Like with he, it so so he can kill here and do his own careful thing so they're like and alex is just like well we're gonna do this in the simplest possible way get on the phone with the airports i want to know anyone who flew to copenhagen or palermo in the month before those murders and find me a name that's on both of the lists <laughs> and of course the team is like, like oh. oh this is gonna be a bitch but you know that's the job that's the job boring yeah. as hell at times yeah. And so uh, Tony gets a call that night. It's Jack again. He re Jack refuses to talk. To, he asks him, did you steal my knife? Jack refuses to talk. Tony says, why don't we meet? I'll come alone. Nobody else. You don't have to be scared. Just tell me where to meet you and I'll meet you. Because again, Tony is an excellent therapist. <laughs> we cannot say this enough that Tony is great at his job. It's interesting, and he's not afraid no. of his patients. Not at all. Not this one, because he understands them yeah. to a large extent. Oh, yeah. I think that's a key part of it. I think the show is very clear about that. Like, he gets it. So Tony goes to the park that he... I mean, we don't see Jack tell him where to go, but obviously he did, because Tony goes to a park and he sits there for half an hour, and Jack doesn't show up. But when uh, Tony gets home, Jack is there waiting for him. Yep. Oh. So he takes Jack in. Yep. And this is the and this is where Tony. I'm not going to call it. Uh, oh, sorry. No, this isn't where he's waiting for him. He's not waiting for him yet. This is where he. Uh, I forgot about the one thing in between. This is where Jack recut the name on his arm and used it to paint his own name on Tony's wall, on the window of Tony's place. Ugh. Yeah, he, he pushes his arm. Yeah, pushes his arm against it to leave the imprint of the name. And you're like, oh, God. This is, this is a rough episode. There's no part of this episode that isn't just brutal. So, this, this, this poor yeah, or child. Yeah, who was just tortured. Right? And... Over what well, he did. Yeah, over what he did. 
and that he can never forget it and then he can never stop doing it. But, uh, and yeah, and so we see Tony seeing the blood on the wall and it having the name Jack, right? Oh, and then, uh, next day, turns out the DNA, the killer is not worried about leaving DNA in any of his victims because he knows, uh, that he's it's not. Nowhere. Yeah, he knows it's not anywhere. Apparently, uh, Kevin is able to find two couples who went to both, uh, Palermo and sorry Sicily and um uh Sicily and Copenhagen in that window but no single men and Tony thinks it can't he can't be traveling with a woman like Tony thinks there's just no way no. he could be like the type of guy this is there's no way he would have a partner you know and so the question becomes like how how are we going to find this guy what part are we missing Right? He's a trophy taker. He's upper class. He gets, right? He takes valuable items from them, but he doesn't sell them or keep them. So, like, how can he make this profile make sense? Right? And he just, he is running into a wall. He is running into, like, a incredibly thi- uh, an incredibly thick wall, and he just doesn't have to know. And so it comes to be, uh, as he said, instead of asking us, why did he originally kill abroad... We have to ask, why is he comfortable now killing at home? And this is where we cut to the motivation. We cut to the killer taking care of his ailing mother who's going blind. Yes. Yeah. He probably and, has other things wrong oh, with her. Oh, definitely has other things wrong with her. You know, and we're like, oh, okay. He's got to spend so much time looking after his mother now that he can't get away anymore. Yeah. Yep. And We but, know this. Mm-hmm. Now, here's where stuff gets uh, really interesting. They go through Monica's uh, notes and find that she had just met someone named Michael King. And she yeah. noticed that and made a note that he worked with Leopard Electronics. And Kevin's like, wait a minute. That's the name of the one of the businesses in the car park. Yep. This is something. And he was out of the country when Inga... Uh, in Denmark disappeared. There's a record of him flying out of the country when Inga disappeared two days before and coming back two days later. So they go to arrest him and they find out he drives the same kind of car that was at the, uh, <laughs> the same kind of Jaguar that was at the car park that night. That's and right. casting, genius casting move, he, they really have cast a guy who looks a lot like the killer. Yes. Which I thought was a very nice to- uh, touch. So they try to interview him. They're like, uh, where did you go? Like, where were you two nights ago? He's like, I stopped for beer on the way home. And then he says he's never been to Copenhagen. They're like, we've got records of you <laughs> flying to Copenhagen. They open up his car and there's a woman's dress in the trunk. Yes. Oh, Ooh, this is looking bad for him. Although they say, are these your clothes, Mrs. King? And she immediately, to his wife, who is not the woman we've been seeing this entire time, just FYI, just to be clear. She yes. also has brand hair, but it's clearly a completely different woman. And she identifies them as her clothes immediately. And unfortunately, they don't have anything they can hold him with. And they can't prove he was also, right? And they can't prove that he was also in Sicily. So what can yeah. they do? Yeah. It's a very frustrating. It's a very, Yeah. And Tony's like, no, yeah, he's hiding something. He's hiding that he's having an affair. Yeah. 
Like, that's why he's so shifty about the fact that he, where he was and the clothes in the trunk. Yeah, like, there's 100%. He was having an affair, and he's being shifty about it, and he doesn't want to admit it. And as Tony says, why on earth, if he went to all of this trouble to conceal these murders and recreate them, would he dump the body 500 feet from his office's front door? Right. <laughs> and then... And then Paul is like, maybe he thinks he's so audacious. Like you said, he's been messing with us. Maybe he's so audacious. He thinks that he'll get away with it. And it'll be that much more thrilling. Tony's like, nope, this is not our guy. Not our guy. Yeah. It's fundamentally, it's not like, and he's like, I understand why we think it's our guy. I understand it looks like our guy. This ain't our guy. And so they have to let him go. (laughs) Oh my God. It's such a good scene. Oh, yes. That, I mean, I guess that's what sometimes discussing this, it's yeah. different than doing a number of other things. Yeah. Um, you have to see these scenes. We tell you they're really good scenes when you're watching it. Yeah, but when you see it, it's completely different. You're right. It It is so... We know because we've watched the whole thing. Yeah. Right? So it is... Hard to explain how well these people act in these scenes and how believable it all is when you're watching it. No, it's, it is nothing but fantastic performances on this show. Yeah. Like that's just a fact. They are amazing. Uh, then we get the, uh, the girlfriend and this is the girlfriend of the killer. And this is where we see their baby being fed and she's watching news about the serial killings. Uh, right. But crucially, my, she's very suspicious. She hears about the fact that like, it's the same killer abroad at home and you know, she's concerned, but she's not willing to talk about it yet. Oh, and then we see the Michael King go home and, uh, find out that he's about to be confronted by his wife about, you know, the affair he's having. (laughs) He's not skating on that one. Well, because they're not her clothes. Well, yeah. And it's like, uh, she phoned the police station and, and, uh, find out that he got, uh, left three hours ago. So yeah. where has he been? He's like, I need to take a walk. And it's like, no, you were breaking up with your mistress. <laughs> we know what was happening in that scene. Uh, and because the killer is a monster, he then follows Monica's sister to a supermarket. And while her head is turned, dropped a photo of her and her sister from Monica's wallet inside her cart. It was just, that was just, this is such a horrible man. It is. He is such a monster. Uh, so it's just, it's, it's horrific the things they come up with for him to do. Yeah. It's like, it's such a nightmare. And so she's horrified. Uh, right. Oh, and we also find out that they have identified the second victim and found out about the woman who worked in the art gallery. Yes. And that's how they tied it to the, yeah, and right. So, and the art gallery was closed for two days and that's why no one reported her missing. But, and this is one of my favorite Tony profiling things I'm going to say ever. They don't, like, he knew where the CCTV cameras were, right? Uh, right. He knew where the CCTV cameras were and he, the, the killer managed to keep his head down the entire time. You can't take pictures of it. And Tony says, what's in his shopping cart? And they're all like, what? He's like, 
if you tell, if you see everything somebody is buying, that tells you a giant amount of stuff about somebody. Yeah. And then they're like, uh, wouldn't you just pick up random objects? And Tony's like, nope, it's all reflex. You go to the grocery store, even if you're not planning on buying it, you're going to pick up what you normally pick up. And that's when they find out he picks up diapers. Yeah, he picks up diapers. But the key part is... What Tony says is, this is a man who's flying around the country, who's comfortable with these high-class women, who's driving sports cars, right? Why does he have 100-pack, like, uh, a 100-pack value tea bag? Why is he buying the British equivalent of store-brand Wonder Bread, right? Yeah. This is, this, and he's like, we're looking for a world traveler, and this is a man who couldn't afford the bus trip to London. Yes. So... How's so, he doing it? How? Right? How? Who is he? Who is he? How is he doing it? And this is when Tony comes home and finds Jack waiting for him, recutting the name into his arm yet again. Oh. And this is the scene where we find out, like, explicitly, that Jack killed people. And we don't, we never find out who he killed. But he killed people when he was 11 years old and it was a scandal to the point and it, like it was a scandal in the press and it was big news to the point where when they were driving away from the the courthouse, people were throwing bricks at the prison van. Like that's how much of a scandal this was. And honestly, the only way people would do that is if he killed another child. Well, this is what's interesting because that's what I would say as well. Yeah. But if you read the IMDB thing. Yeah. As a child, Jack killed his family and the police are concerned that blah, dot, dot, dot. Right? Okay. Maybe he killed his parents, but he definitely killed another child or he, they he must not, have killed another child. Like a that sibling. Is, I can, I can, uh, there's a, there's a whole wonderful academic book about <laughs> yeah. um, the media and children who kill children. Yeah. And that is, and that is the description they're describing. Like, doesn't happen very often. Nope. And it is horrific. And, um, like there was the case in New Zealand. Oh, God. That was a long time ago. She has, she is one of them is, she's now an adult. Oh, because yeah. her parents wanted to move away from New Zealand. Yeah. And, um, they made a movie about it. Yeah. They, they eventually, I didn't even see the movie. Yeah. Well, I, no, but I mean, this, I, I would suspect that this is specifically calling out. Those mm -hmm. kids that those like 11 year olds that murdered the eight year old or whatever it was yes. on the train tracks. And then the media tried yes. to blame it on the video game Mortal Kombat. Yes. I'm, I'm sure that that is what is being referenced here. And the question is, OK, well, what do you do eight years later when that kid is an adult and has been adjudicated to not be responsible for what he did when he was 11? Yes. And he has been. But he, he this is the problem as Tony and Jack are having a little bit of a discussion. Yeah. And Jack is, you know. David now. And that's the David. horrible part. Like, he's supposed to be David, but he knows he's Jack. And yes. he's sick of people calling him David. And that's why he has carved Jack into his arm. Because Jack is the monster that's inside him that did this inaccept this unforgivable thing. Yes, he's David, but he's still Jack. Yeah. Oh. And he did it, and it is horrible, and he can't forget it, and he is guilt-ridden, and he hates himself, and he feels like there are these... I mean, he talks about Jack as if... He's another he, person. He's another person, and he, but he needs to remember that he was Jack, 
and he, that's why he carves Jack into his arm. Yeah. And so that he won't forget. Yeah. It's, and, it's a brutal scene. Yes. And Tony agrees not to call, like he almost calls yeah, the social, the social worker. worker. Well, no, that comes, that that's the next scene. Before that, we have the scene where Alex screws up worse because she has taken, <laughs> she has taken her son's phone away. Yes. So she can deal with the father situation. But then when the father calls, she like brings, she realizes she has no idea what to say. And she brings the phone to her son to answer it. Yes. <laughs> My God damn it, Alex. Well, I mean, what she's trying to do, yeah. as we will find out when she discusses it with Tony, I'll just say it ahead of time. Yeah. She's trying to protect her child. Yeah. She knows who this man is and she mm-hmm. knows. And she will tell Tony this. And Tony says, yeah, but you cannot protect your children from hurt. No. You just can't. One way or another, he's going to have to deal with this. I remember talking to the psychologist and saying, I just want to take the children and run away. I I mean, I've had this this Alex conversation. Yeah. And the child psychologist Mm -hmm. just said, can't do it. No, because it's always going to come up. He's a part of their lives. It's and always they're going to have to deal with it at some point. Well, what happens is is what my child psychologist said. Tony's not a child psychologist as such. No, he does well, work with a lot of children, but only children yes. offenders is the problem. Yes, and he. But what he said to me was, he said, "Look, you take the children away, they will idealize." Yeah, and. They will never, they have to know who their father is. And the only way they can is by via exposure around yeah. by exposure, because I used to get so frustrated and so angry. And what happens to Jack, to um, Ben yeah. happened more than once to my children. Yeah. Like, just like saying they'll be there and then, you know, ditching not out, showing up. not showing up. Uh, so what's interesting here is, so then, then we get to the seat of Tony, like preparing stuff for Jack to stay over in the night. And, mm. but, uh, and this is the key moment. He takes all of the sharp knives out of the kitchen and he locks them up. And yeah. that's when he considers calling the social worker and getting him. And this is the key moment. Cause he's like, but then, you know, at the key at right as he's thinking about it, you know, Jack shows up and asks for a glass of water and Tony allows himself to believe that this can be a normal thing and he can just reach out and he can get through yes. to Jack. And of course, well, remember how we've up. been talking about this has been a very depressing episode. Tony wakes up in the morning and, and Jack Jack's is gone. gone. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Oh my no God. At this point. Nope. Uh, right. But, um, the next day, right? They, uh, right. The next day they have located the last place the woman who worked at the art gallery was. And they get, uh, it was a hotel bar and they don't have any pictures of the man again, but they find them in the parking lot and they see that he was in a Porsche. And they're like, wait a minute. Last time he was, and this is the key for figuring this out. Last time he was in a, Jaguar, now he's in a Porsche. He can't pot, like, they can't both be his car, so what does this mean? 
And so and this, yeah, they, yeah, they get, uh, yeah, exactly. And then Tony has a conversation with um, the social worker because the social, because he finally, you know, now the Jack has run off, he realizes he has to tell the social worker that he's been talking to him. The social worker's pissed. Yes. Quite understandably. Mm-hmm. And Tony's like, he feels like a box is closing around on him. You know, and he can't think rationally, can't do anything. So, like, I didn't think having the cops show up was going to make anything better. And uh, and then the guy's like, okay, what about the fact that he has a knife? And he's like, Tony's like, he was only using it to hurt himself, and I took it off of him. Yes. Yeah. Uh, But here's the problem. As we learn in, like, a couple scenes from now, knives aren't expensive. Oh. It, it Tony sometimes doesn't think yeah. things through. Tony, this is one of the areas, one of the places where you can find that Tony sometimes is a little blinkered in his abilities. Yeah. About his abilities and about the seriousness. Of I mean, situation. he should have known yeah. if Jack was cutting himself and and Jack was having this identity problem of having two people. He's now split basically into two. It's not a true split mm-hmm. because he was way, way too old to develop a two multiple personality disorder. Multiple yeah. Personalities or anything, but he can't, he can't be David because mm-hmm. he's really Jack, but he would prefer to be David, but he can't be David. Yeah. Because Jack is never going to go away. Jack did what Jack did. Mm-hmm. And Tony sometimes is just a little bit blinkered. And dealing with a child, and I will say this, for, with Tony, sometimes is a little harder than it is dealing with adults. The last child we saw him deal with, that was a different situation. And this Jack has done something so horrible yeah that it is hard and he needed to keep in contact with tony he needed to have consistent therapy all along there was nothing tony could do about it when they moved him mm-hmm. um and so whatever connection tony and jack had had continued in jack's mind yeah and he never inter really this is I'm filling in. Oh, of course. He never really interacted with his next therapist. No. Not truthfully. And so whatever the next therapist. Yeah. And Tony said isn't going to connect and Tony doesn't seem to realize that problem. Yeah. You can yeah. say he's a good therapist, but there are and most of the no, time No, he has he has blind spots. I'm not going to say he doesn't have blind spots. He absolutely yeah. has blind spots. And this is one of them. Yeah, because he thought that the next therapist would just be able to take care of it, and he understood that in order for David to have a new life, he would have to sever all contact with his old life cuz yeah. he committed these murders around Bradfield, so he yeah. can't stay here and he can't come back and see Tony every week. Yeah. Right. He had to create a whole new identity, and Tony understood that. And Tony's not going to move with him, so you know. And it's... as I as I would say, 
it makes more sense that he killed another child. Yeah. Not what IMDb says. Well, I mean, again, if we assume that the family includes another child, it does make logical sense, you know? And I think that's just what we're going to have to assume. All right. So now we get the big uh, reveal, which is by looking at people who drive Jaguars, um, right? Uh, ja- da- Jaguars and who are on the list of people who were in Palermo, they find another possible Porsche. killer. Oh, sorry. Yeah. The Porsche. The second one was the Porsche. Yeah. The second, yeah, the second one, one was, was the Porsche. Porsche. So they and find in, yeah. in their airplane lists. They find a guy who matches that. And in an amazing coincidence, also uh, the, bo- the new business park where the body was dropped. He also works there. So that's the second time this exact thing has happened. Yes, but it's a different name. But it's a different guy. Yeah. And then Tony's like, wait, wait, okay, okay. I think I know what's going on here. So they get the first guy back in to say, hey, has anyone ever stolen your credit card? Yeah. Identity theft, anybody? Any identity theft going on here? Guy's like, yeah, a couple of years ago, somebody stole my credit card and they, you know, and spent a bunch of money in Europe and then, you know, uh, they canceled it. And they're like, but you don't know where. And it's like, no, they didn't tell me where he spent it. They just asked me if I'd been out of the country. And I said I hadn't. And so they look in with the credit card company and boom, there's your connection. Yeah. And it happens with this the other man. And it happened with the, the other man. man too. And so now they've realized, and just as Tony figures out, right, that you have to find, like, this killer is targeting specific men because he not just, because... He didn't just kill women while pretending to be them in another country. He then came back to Bradfield and he essentially tried to pin the mur- the new murders on them. Like, so this is as much about these men as it is about the women. Yes. So both of these men will know the killer is his thought on the subject. Yes. So there you go. Like, it's it's a really good lead. It's just a fantastic lead, and it's a very well-written scene. And just as he's figured this out, he gets the call from Jack on his cell phone, who's talking about how, you know, sleeping up comfortable in a duvet reminded of his life when he was a kid, and he just wishes he could rewind time. And Tony's like, you can't, but there's always tomorrow. And then Jack says he just wants out. And Tony's like, well, give yourself up. We'll figure something out. And Jack hangs up. And Jack hangs up. Even though Tony says that he can give him anything he needs. Oh, and can ha- he promises he can help him, but nope. And we see that Jack has bought himself a box cutter. Yeah. Yep. And so then Tony lays out his profile. This is a guy who lives on Ben. Uh, Benefits. He has narcissistic personality disorder. He has delusions of grandeur and he presents himself as a successful man. And if anything, you know, uh, and, and uh, it probably comes from, you know, monstrously abusive parents who demanded he be successful and abused him every time he wasn't. So he has to present this facade of success that he can't hold up because, you know, he's angry and violent and is, uh, as Tony says, always thinks he the world deserves him success whether he does anything or not yes. right and and the one critical is that he had a mother who yeah. never ever acknowledged him not really yeah and he's like and well how can you assume a mother well he's killing and, women isn't he yes 
it's the mother that's key here because he's killing women. Yeah. Yeah, and, ha- and, and he's like, and, and he even says that narcissistic parents have narcissistic children because they only, the, those true narcissists only see children as extensions of themselves. Yes. And I mean, you see that with Donald Trump, right? <laughs> oh no, he's like, if you ever, he is like this textbook thing, right? It's this yes. textbook case of narcissistic personality disorder because he, he's such an idiot that he constantly talks about all of the frigging symptoms of it. Yeah. And well, he, it's not only that. He sees his children as extensions of Yeah, himself. exactly. He sees them as extensions of himself. It's uh, inter- uh, very interesting. And then we cut to the mother, him taking the killer, taking care of the mother, and, right? And yeah. uh, then running off and her demanding that he uh, she pay attention to him. Oh, right? And mother, then, yes, yeah. you can just, just see it. This has been going on and she yep, cuts him down. Mm-hmm. And then he goes, is this where he goes back to the house? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he goes, oh. And right. then they start, okay, so I, like, I don't remember the exact sequence because they decide to put on TV. About the jewelry. Yeah, well, cause he, what happens is because they, um, because he bought diapers and baby stuff, yes. they know that he's got an intimate partner and Tony's like, this is definitely who he's dressing up. And yes. that's why they're like, and so Tony's thing is, yes, she's submissive. Yes, he's dominating her. But if we heavily publicize the missing jewelry, we can maybe get her to reach out. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. And uh meanwhile, we see the next victim going out on a call to meet a Mr. McGuire. I mean, yes. we don't know she's the next victim yet, but yeah. <laughs> she looks like the other women. Exactly. Uh, and we see Jack. And she's having trouble at work yep. because she isn't selling well enough. And so she's desperate to get sales, maybe looking for a new job. And so he, she's got these weak ins that he's going to be able to use to get her to go to a secondary location. Yes. And they, uh, we see Jack kill himself, which, ugh, I did not want to see that. Thanks, nope. show. I feel like that's almost irresponsible. We get confirmation of the, um, the wife's uh, the, I say wife, girlfriend's existence because they find long hair on the most recent uh, woman's clothes that yeah. is a completely different color. So it's like, it's definitely. But then they search and they, but they search everything about these two men and they can't find any connection between the two of them whatsoever. So how can we find out who is the man who knows both of them? Right. He doesn't have a history of sexual assault. He's got no DNA. There's no connection. And he, and Tony's like, well, he's, and he's like violence against women. And then he's like, no, if she's under this much control, it never would have gotten reported it. And, and then, it's probably not particularly violent. Yeah. And then, uh, they went to the car hire companies. Right. And that's, uh, this is the very interesting thing. No, no. Cause they found two different car hire companies. Uh, they found the places that they were rented from, but they were rented by people over the phone who picked it up and paid via credit card. So they didn't have a face of him, but they found, uh, they got, they said, be on the lookout. Tell us if anyone calls you with a very specific question, like wanting an exact make and model of car. Cause remember the other two cars were yes. not only the same model, they were even the same color. As yeah. the men he was impersonating. And so Paula gets a call that a man just, uh, 
rented a Range Rover and he wanted a specific gear in a specific color. And that's very unusual for them. And so they get the name Paul McGuire off of him. Uh, and so now they've, so they've know who the next person who's being framed is. Meanwhile, the girlfriend has seen the uh, information and calls Alex, but can't go through with the phone call. Yeah. And, and then now her husband comes home. Yeah. I mean her, well, the boyfriend. Oh, not yet. First, they actually managed to talk to, uh, the, uh, the Paul McGuire. Right, they managed to find yes. Paul McGuire, the real guy. And here's the interesting part: where the other guys were like fancy businessmen, this guy just works at an airport. He's in charge of luggage handling at the airport, and he doesn't drive a Range Rover. It's very weird. So yeah, like whatever fantasy the guy's trying to do with a Range Rover doesn't really have link to this. But this guy also had his credit card details stolen. So he's definitely connected and he's being taunted. But the problem is he doesn't have a fancy car and the guy still needs a fancy car as part of his fake life. He can't show up in the equivalent of like a Ford. A Ford Focus. Yeah. No, a Ford Ford. Yeah, Focus. Yeah. And so they're like, this man has a specific grudge against all three men, meaning they all they all know this man. Yes, whether they... And so they're like, let us know, and he's stealing from everybody, so has anybody been fired from theft from all of these guys' jobs or companies or surrounding areas? Yeah, and uh, then we see him making a date to pick up the the killer, making a date to pick up the new woman later. Mm -hmm. Right, and he's picking out the victim who looks most like her, right, Uh, to bring uh, their clothes and their... ID. Uh, ID. So he is ready to do it. And then we see the wife coming home and, uh, oh, ask, he asks her where the earrings are. And she drops the newspaper on the ground about the uh, rapist murderer serial. And she's freaked out. And he grabs her face. We're like, oh, my God, is he about to kill her? Because it really looks like he's about to kill her. Oh, yeah, because she explains that she's not wearing the earrings because they're too heavy. Yeah. And they hurt. And he's like, that's something up. And then he can't hide the, uh, right? He can't uh, hide the reaction, right? Uh, He can't hide, sorry, she can't hide the reaction. He sees it right away. He knows that she knows. He knows that she knows. And meanwhile, Paula has found a guy. His name is Luke Harris. He was fired by all of them for theft, but nobody reported them as crimes. That's why he wasn't in the system. They had just all fired him when they found out about the theft. And interestingly enough, they had individually fired him. Yeah, each one of them fired him in person. In person. So there is a face-to-face here. Yep. And so... Right? And yes. And the husband does look... You wonder whether he's going to kill his partner. But he doesn't. But he doesn't. He walks out. And then... He has has to meet this woman. Yeah, uh, right? And then what the fun thing is, they're so good about not showing the killer's face that even though they're in his house and they, uh, and like she, we see that she has turned down a picture of him on the mantle and yes. we see Alex lifted up, but someone walks in front of it just in time that we yes. don't see it. 
It's very cute. So they interview her. He talks about how he used to travel for work, but he was never willing to tell her exactly what he did for a living. Because again, he's a professional thief. Like he just steals for a living. And then they talk to her about uh, the missing jewelry and she hands over all of the stolen jewelry from him. And like, she knows and they know she knows. Yeah, they find a cardboard box full of outfits. Yes. Both of previous victims and the most recent victims. So he's got like so many. It's not just the ones that we've seen, which is four. We know about four, but there are a lot more. Mm -hmm. And he's got all of these other, and he's got all of the stolen and faked passports of the men who look enough like him that he was able to travel as them. Yeah. Yeah. And then he heads to see his mother and he suffocates her. Yeah. Well, because he can't take care of her anymore. Can't take her anymore. He knows he's found out. Yeah. But he's still going to meet that girl. Well, he calls her and says her, she's on the way. Yeah, he's on the way. Mm-hmm. And then, so, uh, uh, but then Tony calls. All right, Tony calls and tells her, hey, I'm Tony Hill. I'm working with the police. Where are you right now? She's in a hotel. He's like, great. Go hide in the bathroom. The police are going to be there momentarily. And they yes. are. They get there in like five minutes. And we cut to the, uh, we cut to the killer. Right? And we see him parking his car somewhere. The Range Rover. I say his car. It's the Range Rover he rented. Right? And he goes to the trunk and we're like, is he parked at the hotel? And uh, tur- uh, and then we look down and we see the outfit he had planned for her and the ID he was going to leave on her body. And then we see him pick up a briefcase and walk away from the car. And then Tony rescues her. And it turns out that he wasn't going to meet her at the hotel. He had no intention of going, like, once his wife found out, he the, he decided, nope, I'm out of here. He calls her and says he's coming yes. as part of one of his cruel manipulations. But no, he uh, he goes and he goes to the airport where he used to work and he gets on a plane and he flies out of the country. And we only see his back. Yeah, we only see the back of his head. And the reason he killed his mother. Yeah, is because, because he wasn't going to be there to look after her anymore. Yep. Yep. And he's pretending to be yet another person because he's kept doing the uh, the identity theft. Yep. And we don't know who he is. Well, we do. We know his name is Luke Harris, and you know, like. Oh no, no, th- no. His oh, the real actual name. guy. His real name. Yeah. No, we don't know his real. Not name. know who he is flying as. No, no, no. They say Mister Bentley, but we've never met that guy. Like, oh, we've never met the guy he's pretending to be. Is the point. Uh, so the next morning, somebody finds Jack's body. Uh, the killer has escaped. Somebody's found Jack's body. And uh, the social worker comes to talk to Tony. And we find out he left a suicide note for Tony. Yeah. Oh, it is a nasty episode. No hope. And Tony reads it. And he is absolutely shattered by it, but he hands it back because, like he says, you're going to need this for the coroner's inquest. So, and you get this great moment with Tony and the social worker where the social worker almost wants to say, you could have stopped this. Yes. But he, it's clear that Tony 
is already brute, like blaming himself more than anyone ever could, and there's no use in saying it, and he walks away. Yeah. And so we get a little flashback, and then we see... And then we get the... Like, I, I call this the even more brutal ending. Oh, but yeah. But it's Alex and Ben waiting for... The, His father. The father who doesn't show up. So Alex then calls Tony, Tony and says... Do you, do you have, do you want to go and see a movie? Yeah. I'm with Ben and me. Yeah. We need cheering up. And he's like, so do I. Yeah. So, and that's how it ends. But oh, yes. But <laughs> it's so. Yeah. Like that's, that's the happy ending to this episode. Yeah. That's yeah. I know. Yep. Cue a little bit of tears. I know. It is It is as rough an episode as we've seen. And the thing is, like, there's nothing wrong with this episode. Like, the psychology's good. The acting's great. Like, as, as a mystery, it's really well written. And it all, it is, the internal logic is flawless. But it's just such a rough experience. Yeah, it just... It's just it, so it's, brutal. It never lets up. Yeah. You know, the only thing you can say is that the girlfriend and the baby are, are fine. fine. Yeah. Like, that is the the <laughs> oh one thing God. we've got at the end of the episode, right? Yeah. Is that the two of them are going to be okay. Which or is as okay as they can be. Yeah. It, it's very interesting. These women must all look like his mother. Oh, yeah. When she was young. You know, or, or close to his mother. They don't bring yeah. that up. That must be but what But the it, women all look similar enough that yeah, there has to be an origin. And his girlfriend doesn't look like them at all. No, she is completely different. Completely different. Yeah. And the mother, I think, pretty clearly used to have blonde hair. Yes. So I think that's the connection we're supposed to make. But again, this episode makes us do a hell of a lot of heavy lifting. Yes. Like all the pieces are there and it all may, it all makes sense, but they're making us do the work for it this time. Yes. Even with their thudding. <laughs> their thudding oh, obviousness in so many parts of the episode. Yeah. Because I mean, the, the thing about, you know, picking up those pieces. Yeah. Right. Is that in this case, it didn't do any good to pick up any of the pieces. Nope. There was no pieces to pick up with these people. This man can't isn't even is going to continue doing this. Well, I mean, my, uh, my, you know, my thought on the subject is I think he's going to be caught pretty quickly now that they know, now that they can just send Interpol his photograph and say what his MO is. Yeah. Like it's a bleak ending to the episode, but he is going to get caught. Yeah. You know, everyone knows who he is. Everyone has access to his photograph now. Like he's not going to be able to keep escaping, but. They want it to end in the most brutal way possible. So they cut the story before the quote unquote happy ending. Yeah. But yeah, it's a, but you're right that he will continue killing because he doesn't know how to not. Yes. Now, if he is, and they, they can, if he is using the name Bentley, which yeah. I yeah. had forgotten. Yeah. Then they will be able to figure out where, where he's he went. Going. Somebody exactly. else is doing that while we're, yeah. we're while watching. we're moving on to the next episode. Somebody else is doing the legwork of actually catching. Yeah, this well, guy. while we're watching the depressing ending, I know. Well, yeah, because <laughs> the fact is, they're going to find the they're going to find the Range Rover at the airport. They're going to go through the security cameras at the airport. They're going to be able to find out what name he was flying under, and I'm sure he has other identities. But they're going to know 
where he went and what name he was flying under, which is a huge lead towards tracking him down later. So yeah, yeah 100%. He is catchable. Yes. It's just... A bleak yeah, You only figure that one out later on. You actually have to think about the fact that he's going to be catchable because the show wants it to be as bleak as possible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as a, as you say, you have to figure so many different things out. And, yeah. But, uh, but those... No, Tony... Those pictures will never be the same. There's nope. nothing you can pick up here except maybe make things easier for Ben. And yep, now that yep. Alex is willing Alex, to call you about this stuff. Yeah. About, about this, this personal stuff. stuff. Maybe you can help. And, you know, help a freaking kid who isn't an offender. Yeah. And, you know, and I mean, the thing is, is at least Alex will now be able to start talking to Ben about his father, More which he has obviously not been willing to do yeah. because he's still so angry about the initial abandonment. Yeah. And she knows, she knows he won't because. Yeah. It's the way he is if he wasn't going to be involved. Oh, totally. I mean, at least, I mean, <clears throat> that wasn't the case with my ex, but. Yeah. That's not, that's, that's not neither the, here nor there. Neither here nor there, but those, those things that business of never thinking about how the child is going to feel yeah never it it is having to be told yeah. because that's what happened right just yeah. the psychologist then had the discussion with the ex yeah who was told in no uncertain terms what the child was feeling yes i didn't have to do that then yeah it, it is it is a fascinating process that's so often. Yeah. Right? Um, but, I mean, the thing is, like, and that's what's in really interesting about the uh, the relationship with her and Ben is it's pretty obvious that Ben should be in therapy. <laughs> like, it really is to deal with the breakup of his parents' marriage. But Alex has deluded herself into thinking that, well, you know, he doesn't remember his father. So if we just don't talk about it. It won't it'll be, be a thing. It won't, yeah. it, it'll be fine. He'll just, yeah. the father will just be a complete non-entity in his life and it'll never come up is what she told herself for the first like six years of her son's life. But because within those six years, the child would just listen to whatever his mother said, you know, and the mother was just the only person in his life. But the older he gets, the more kids he meets, the more, you know, fathers he meets, the more two parent families he meets, he's going to start having questions and that's what she's going through right now. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, like, depressing episode. What a really good episode. Really good episode, but very depressing. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's a nice comeback after last week's, you know, voodoo nonsense. <laughs> again, and that wasn't even a bad episode. It was just, again, didn't feel like an episode of this show. I also wonder if it was no, they did no. It first. It came out on July 18th, 2007, so it wasn't even a Halloween episode. <laughs> Could have forgiven them if it had been Yeah, so out. that's what happened, obviously, when they were filming that scene, is they were filming it in, like, March or April. And yeah. so who on earth would have thought they were going to get a blizzard in March or April? Yeah. And so they just ha happened to have a blizzard that night, and they ended up with this beautiful sequence that in couldn't have been predicted or couldn't have been planned. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. All right. Uh, so that's that. Why in the blood? What is next week's episode? It's called Anything You Can Do. Anything You Can Do. Okay. And then after that, everybody be very excited because between P uh, season five and six, 
they did uh, what I always think of as uh, kind of ironically, because they're all movies, but uh, Wire in the Blood, the movie, which was a big budget episode where they sent Tony to America. Uh, <laughs> so uh, pre- yeah, well, prepare for some fun next time, <laughs> the time after next. Yes, two weeks from now. Two weeks from now. So. Uh, for now, though, uh, that's that. If you have any questions, if you have any comments, if there's any profiling-related fiction you'd like us to check out, please drop us a line at profilingcriminalminds at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. If you were listening to this on some sort of an app or podcatcher, please rate and review it. That's how people find out about the show. We're going to be back uh, at the beginning of next week with the new review of Criminal Minds. We have to, uh, well, one of us has to travel this weekend, so we're not going to be able to record until Monday. We'll try to get it out Monday night, but if it ends up being Tuesday, we apologize in advance. Yes. All right. Uh, so that's that. Uh, thanks as always for listening. We'll see you back here then, but until then, I'm going to say that's right. Au revoir. And have a good week. Profiling Criminal Minds is a member of the Kinks Podcasting Network.